We read the scripture together in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the first 20 verses of the chapter. Pay special attention to verses 8 through 12. And that will be our text. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them, concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. We read God's word that far this morning. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the countryside somewhere outside of the town of Bethlehem in Judea, the very same night in which Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, a glorious scene unfolded before the eyes of a group of shepherds who were keeping watch over their flock by night, abiding in that field. All of a sudden, we're told by Luke, an angel of the Lord appeared in the sky above them. 
An angel suddenly appeared in the darkness of the sky and the glory of the Lord shone round about that angel and shined around the shepherds and they were sore afraid. Something had just happened in the town over yonder, something that they were not aware of yet, and they were about to be told about it, something that was going to change the world forever. They were about to become the first recipients of the tidings of great joy which are unto all people, tidings like they had never heard before, Tidings of a joy greater than anything they had ever experienced in their lives. And an event that was more significant than anything that had ever happened in their lives. They were about to be told about something that had happened that marked the fullness of time, as the Apostle would put it later in his epistles. An event that would mark the fullness of all of history, as if history was a cup that was being filled through the ages and now that cup of history was full to the brim and was now overflowing, that was what was marked by this event. So momentous, so significant, so glorious. All of history before this event had pointed forward to it. All of the prophets had spoken of it. All of the faithful had been waiting for it including the angels of heaven itself. What had just happened there in Bethlehem was the dawning of the day of the Lord, and the angel had now come to tell them about it. That virgin of whom Isaiah had spoken had conceived and born a son, a son whose name is Emmanuel, because he is none other than God with us. And that child now lay, wrapped up in swaddling clothes, in a manger somewhere over yonder in Bethlehem. But the shepherds didn't know about it yet. In fact, nobody knew about it yet. The world was in complete ignorance of the glorious thing, the world-changing thing, the moment of salvation that had just happened in Bethlehem. But that must not be. The tidings of this event must be uh, spread and shared in the world, and therefore a herald was dispatched from heaven. An angel was sent from heaven down to the earth, an angel of God. And now that angel appears in the sky above the shepherds in the countryside outside of Bethlehem. And that angel standing there in the midst of the heaven has something to say to the shepherds. And the shepherds look up at that angel with awe-struck wonder, their hearts struck with terror because they had never seen anything like it. And the angel opens his mouth, and he is about to speak. And so through the scriptures, we gather together with the shepherds in that dark night outside of Bethlehem, and let us hear what the angel has to say to us. I call your attention to the text under the theme, Hark, the herald angel speaks. Notice, first of all, the glorious appearance of the angel. Secondly, the good tidings of great joy. Finally, the lowly shepherd audience. Luke tells us in the text 
verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Familiar words. And that little word, lo, which can also be translated, behold, such a common word in the scripture. But it appears whenever there is something of great significance that has to be told, whenever there is something that is momentous, that is important, and in this case something has happened that is so momentous that an angel of the Lord has come to tell us about it. God did not send angels all of the time. We sometimes think that throughout the history of the Bible times, angels appeared all the time so that people, pretty much everyone, had an experience of seeing an angel at some point, but that was simply not true. Angels only appeared on very special occasions to mark momentous events and to share significant tidings with God's people. Sometimes tidings of judgment, sometimes tidings of salvation. So Luke says, Lo, behold, or to use the word of that familiar and beloved Christmas carol, hark. The word hark has the same idea as behold. It means pay attention, come and listen carefully to something that has to be said. Hark, the herald angel is about to speak. Now, in our version, it is translated, the angel of the Lord, which might leave the impression that this was the same angel that appeared throughout the Old Testament, who is repeatedly called the angel of Jehovah. But in the original language, what we find is that it is simply an angel of the Lord. The translators translated the angel of the Lord, but we could just as well translate an angel of the Lord, and that is really a better translation, because the translation the angel of the Lord leaves the wrong impression. The angel of the Lord was the Old Testament manifestation of the Son of God in the form of an angel. Throughout the Old Testament, the Son of God, before he was born in Bethlehem, often appeared in the form of an angel, a great, mighty angel, to bring messages to his people. But this is not the Son of God in the form of an angel. The Son of God has now become incarnate. The Son of God is now in human nature, and he is a little child wrapped in swaddling clothes in Bethlehem. Therefore, the angel that was appearing in the sky above the shepherds was not that angel, but an angel. That is, one of the 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels of which the scriptures teach constantly dwell in the heavenly places. This angel was like all of the other angels of heaven. He was one of the angelic creatures of God. This angel was a creature. Like all of the angels, he was created by God in the beginning. The angels are not eternal. This angel was not eternal. The angels had a beginning. But the angels were created, all of them, in one moment in the very beginning of time. We don't know with absolute certainty 
when the angels were created. But it's reasonable to say from the scriptures that God created all of the angels in one instant, that first moment of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When he created heaven, he also created the inhabitants of heaven. He created the angels, all of the angels in one moment of time. He also created this angel that appears in our text in the beginning. Therefore, although this angel did not exist forever, he existed for a very long time before he appeared to the shepherds. He was an ancient creature. He had existed for thousands and thousands of years since the very dawn of time. God created this angel and all the angels as spirits, spiritual beings, not physical spiritual beings like us. We are also spiritual beings, but we are also physical beings. We are creatures with a body and a soul, but the angels do not have a physical body like us. They are spirits, spiritual beings. And God created them in the beginning in rank and file. There were ranks of angels. There were cherubim and seraphim. There were principalities and powers and thrones and dominions. So that the whole angelic host, millions upon millions of angels, were created in this structure, this rank and file. And they were also created as rational and moral creatures. And in that sense, they are like us human beings. They are rational. They are moral. In the beginning, they were able to choose between good and evil, just like Adam and Eve. The reprobate angels, the angels that God determined from before time, would fall into sin. They chose evil. They chose to follow Satan. They chose to rebel against the king of creation. And they fell. They fell into sin and they became irrevocably evil, irrevocably rebellious against God. And they became the hordes of darkness, the demons. But the elect angels, the angels that God determined in his counsel would be his servants for all eternity, they chose good. They chose to follow Jehovah. They, they chose to worship and adore the Lord of hosts forever and ever. So when we read in Psalm 103, in the last verses, Bless the Lord, all ye his angels that excel in strength. The glorious angels of the Lord respond to the psalmist, We will bless the Lord with all that is in us, with all of our being. We will serve him. We will adore and worship him. We will do whatever is his bidding. Those are the angels. The angels who love and serve and bless the Lord therefore grieved when Adam and Eve fell into sin. They also observed the events that take place here on the earth and they watched when Adam and Eve gave heed to the words of their mortal enemy, Satan. And when they followed in his footsteps, choosing to eat the forbidden fruit, to disobey God, to rebel against their creator, and to plunge into darkness, the angels grieved. But the angels rejoiced when God spoke the promise of salvation. 
when God began to reveal promises and prophecies that he would send a Savior who would be Christ and Lord, who would deliver mankind and all of creation from the darkness into his light and give them everlasting salvation. When the angels heard those promises, they rejoiced. The Apostle Peter writes in chapter 1 of his first epistle that the angels took a special interest in the words of the prophets. When God revealed to the prophets through the ages of the Old Testament his plan of salvation to send Christ into the world so that through the sufferings of Christ he would bring salvation, Peter says that the angels desired to look into those things. The angels looked into the prophets' words. The angels looked into the sacred scriptures in the long ages before the coming of Christ. And the angels watched with keen eyes as God unfolded the wonders of salvation through the ages of history. The angels were watching when God delivered Noah and his family in the ark through the flood from the wicked world, and they rejoiced. They watched with keen eyes as God delivered Israel out of the bondage of Egypt through the midst of the Red Sea on dry ground. They were watching as God led his people through the wilderness to the Jordan River and gave them through the conquest of Canaan that land as their inheritance. The angels watched as God raised up judges to deliver them repeatedly throughout that period of history and as God raised up David and Solomon, those great kings, to expand the boundaries of his kingdom into a glorious kingdom. The angels watched as God led his people back from Babylon to the land of Judea and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and the temple of the Lord. The angels rejoiced at all of these wonders, but they knew that these wonders were only types and shadows pointing forward to the Christ who must come, the Savior who must be born, whom God had promised. And there was great excitement in heaven, we can be sure, when in these days of our text, the days of which Luke speaks in Luke 2, verse 1, when Caesar Augustus was emperor of the vast Roman Empire. The angels were excited. There was a hum of excitement in heaven because God had already sent the great angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to the virgin named Mary, a spouse to a man named Joseph, to reveal to her the message that she would be the mother of Christ. And the angels observed as Mary became pregnant without knowing a man, and they knew this must be the virgin that was prophesied. And as Mary became great with child, the angels were filled with excitement as they saw her bring forth her firstborn son in Bethlehem and wrap him up in swaddling clothes and lay him in a manger. And now this particular angel of our text, we don't know his name, we don't know his rank and file, we don't know how he fit into those angelic hosts, but he was given the tremendous honor and privilege of being the herald 
of these good tidings of great joy. God appointed him, God ordained him, to be the one to appear in the dark night sky in the countryside outside of Bethlehem. In that silent night, that holy night, to bring the message of the birth of Christ. And so Luke tells us, Lo, the angel, an angel of the Lord, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. It was as if that angel opened up the door of heaven, because the angels dwell in heaven. But it was as if he opened up the door of heaven to go on his mission and to announce the good tidings. And when he opened up the door and went through that door and appeared in the sky outside of Bethlehem, the heavenly glory streamed with him through that door and shone round about him and round about the shepherds. Glories streamed from heaven afar and filled the night sky, piercing the darkness and shining all around the shepherds. You see, up in heaven, the glory of God shines in its perfect brightness, constantly and continually. The glory of the Lord is the manifestation of all of his divine attributes and virtues. In heaven, God sits on the throne and reveals himself in a very special way. Although he is present everywhere in the creation, He manifests himself in a special way in heaven, there where he sits on his throne. From the throne of God in heaven, glory shines forth and radiates in a way that it doesn't here on earth. The glory of God radiates with all of his divine virtues, his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness. The grace and mercy and love of God, the wisdom and knowledge and power of God, all of these virtues radiate forth from his throne. We think of that vision of John in Revelation 4, where he sees the throne of God in heaven and a beautiful rainbow over that throne and these beautiful colors of precious stones and glories and and light shining. That's the glory of God in heaven. It's the radiance the manifestation of God as God. God as the glorious one, the the powerful one, the mighty one, the gracious one, the righteous one. Those glories that stream forth from the throne in heaven cause all of the citizens of heaven to bow down before him, to cast their crowns before him, and to adore him and worship him day and night day and night. That's going on in heaven all the time. And now this angel is sent down to earth, to the dark night sky of Bethlehem. He comes forth, and the glorious stream of heaven comes with him and shines all around him. There's this brightness, this light, this beauty, this radiance. And the shepherds see him in all of his brightness. And that glory envelops them as well so that they're clothed and blanketed in this heavenly light. And it's no surprise then that they were sore afraid. When the glory of God shines in heaven, the inhabitants of heaven are not afraid. There is no fear in heaven. There's only perfect joy and peace and rest. And the saints 
and angels of heaven know that they are right with God. And therefore, they're not afraid of him, but they're filled with joyous gratitude and worship. But when God shines his glory to men on earth who know themselves to be sinners, who know themselves to be guilty of breaking all the commandments of God and keeping none of them, whose consciences constantly accuse them that they are sinful, that they are fallen, that they are wretched and miserable in Adam and in themselves when they remember the things they've done in their lives. And then God appears in all of his glory, the glory of his holiness and goodness and righteousness. The only reaction, the only initial reaction is to be struck to the depths of our soul with terror. Because we know that if this great God would mark my transgressions, then I could not stand before him for a moment, but I must be condemned and destroyed and punished for all eternity. So they were sore afraid. But the angel wasted no time in calming their fear. Almost as instantaneously as he appeared, and they were struck with terror, in that same instant, the angel brought his message. He didn't wait, he didn't delay, but he opened his mouth, and the first thing he said was, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. What a privilege it was for him to bring that glorious message. The purpose and the task given to angels is to bring a message, to bring tidings. The word angel actually means messenger. Angels are messengers. They bring messages, tidings, news. And this angel had appeared there to tell them something. And the first thing that he told them was, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The angel wanted to assure them from the very start that he was bringing good tidings. He was not bringing bad tidings. He was not bringing to them a message of the wrath and judgment of God that was about to strike them dead for their sins, but he was bringing them good tidings. And oh, how we love to bring good tidings. These were going to be tidings of salvation, tidings of great joy, Tidings that would calm their fears. Tidings that would be able to calm any fear that we might possibly have in this world. Fear not, he said. How many times does God bring that message to his people? Throughout the scriptures, again and again and again. Fear not, fear not, don't be afraid. That was the first thing he said. The message that I'm about to bring to you is going to take away all of your fears, all of your fears, so that you will not be left with one single fear. There will be nothing left for you to be afraid of. You will not have to be afraid of judgment. You will not have to be afraid of God. You will not have to be afraid of his wrath. You will not have to be afraid of death. You will not have to be afraid of hell. You will not have to be afraid of your enemies. You will not have to be afraid of failure. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings 
of great joy. The tidings that the angel brought were not tidings of a little joy. Sometimes we bring news of something that will bring joy. And sometimes it brings a little joy. Sometimes it brings great joy. But the message that this angel brought was tidings of great joy. The tidings of this angel would change sorrow into joy and would maintain that joy in those who receive this gospel for the rest of their lives so that they would be able to rejoice at any point in their life, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter what circumstances, trials, afflictions, troubles. This is a message of great joy, a maintaining joy, a joy that will increase more and more until it is perfected in the world to come. How often, too, do we hear about that joy? Our Savior in John 15 tells them that he wants to increase their joy. The Apostle John in his epistle says, I write these things unto you so that your joy might be full. You have to have joy. You have to rejoice. There's reason for joy. And that's the message of the angel. Good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. Oh, shepherds, this message that I bring is not only for you, not only for your kind, not only for your people, not only for the Jews, but this is for all people. This is unto all the nations, all the Gentiles. It's a message for the whole world. And by this time, you can imagine that the shepherds were all ears. As their fear was calmed, their ears were opened, their hearts were expanded. They wanted to know, what is this great message? Tell us the good tidings. And so the angel proceeds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The message that the angel had to bring was a birth announcement of the greatest kind, a birth announcement like they had never heard before. This was a birth announcement of a child who had just been born. Wonderful to hear the news of a newborn child, but this was a special child, a child like no other child that had ever been born or who would ever be born. And he was born just over there in that town of Bethlehem, the lights of which they could see from their place abiding in the fields. Just over there in the city of David, Bethlehem, the town where David, great David, had been born, the son of Jesse. That town where David had grown up, that town outside of which David himself had once abode in the fields, keeping watch over his flock by night, making psalms and singing poems to the Lord his God, that town out of which mighty David arose to Jerusalem to become king of Israel, David, the city of David, David, to whom the Lord promised, your son will sit forever upon your throne, world without end. This is a child who has been born in the city of David, in Bethlehem, because he is of the house and lineage of David. 
He is in the royal line of David. He is the great son of David. Unto you, shepherds, is born this day in that city of David a Savior. Not just a Savior, but the Savior. The Savior for whom you have been waiting. The Savior for whom you have been praying. The Savior for whom your soul longs. The Savior from sin and death and hell. The one, the only one, who is able to deliver your souls from everlasting destruction. The one who is able to save you from your terrible sins. The one who is going to save you from all your enemies, from Satan and all of the hordes of darkness. A Savior has been born for you, who is Christ the Lord. This Savior is Christ. He's not just one of the many Saviors whom God has raised up throughout history. This is that Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the one whom God ordained from all eternity to send into the world, to anoint with the oil of the Holy Spirit as your eternal prophet, priest, and king. The one who has been born is Christ, the prophet who will reveal to you the mysteries of salvation. He is Christ, the priest who will offer himself a sacrifice for your sins on the cross. The king who will reign over you with the staff of his grace and who will reign over the whole world with a rod of iron. The one who has been born is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior who is Christ, the Lord. The one who has been born is the Lord himself. And when we see the word Lord in the New Testament, we have to understand it's referring to Lord in the Old Testament in all capital letters, which always referred to Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, the one true living God who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, the everlasting God, the Lord who owns all of creation. The heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. This Lord has been born. He has come down to the earth. He has taken upon himself human nature. And he has done that to become your Lord in an even better way. Because a Lord is someone who purchases and owns as his property someone or something else. The one who is born is the Lord. The one who by the shedding of his precious blood will purchase you shepherds and make you his own property. He will redeem you and make you his own. The good tidings of great joy are unto you, the angel says. And that's what makes it such good news. These good tidings are not just for others, not just for them or for them, but for you. And the message of the scripture here is brought to every child of God to every believer unto you was born that day in the city of David this Savior who is Christ the Lord and the angel said and this shall be the sign unto you 
you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angel did not tell them exactly where they could find this child per se, but the angel told them how they would know that they had found him when they started to look for him. Because it was all implied in the message of the angel that you shepherds must hasten and you must go and seek and find this child. And that same implication comes to us today and to all who hear the gospel. The call of the gospel is, this is the good news, now hasten and go and seek and find him. And now the angel tells them how they will know that they have found him when they seek him. You shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And that was enough for the shepherds to be able to know how to find him. They knew from those instructions that they were not to look for him in any house in Bethlehem or in any inn or in any hospital, but they were to look for him where the manger was. And the shepherds were men of the field. They were men of the farm. They knew what a manger was, and they knew where the mangers were in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was not a large town. The shepherds knew exactly where to find that manger. It wasn't as if they had to go searching far and wide throughout the city and look in every stables at every manger before they could find him. All the angel had to say was, He's in the manger. The shepherds knew, too, that there would not have been more than one child born that night in little Bethlehem, lying in a manger. If there were any other children born that night in Bethlehem, they would have been wrapped up in beautiful, clean cloths, and they would be in a nice, warm crib inside one of the houses or inns. This child is in the manger. They knew where to find him. They didn't need any other signs. But what child is this, they must have thought, that has been born in the stables with the cattle and the donkeys and the horses, the animals, in the midst of poverty and obscurity and wrapped up in swaddling rags? Because the angel said, notice, this shall be a sign unto you. The angel wasn't just giving them instructions of how they could find him. The angel was giving them a sign so that when they found him, they would know something about him. The angel was telling them, they must not look for a Christ, a Savior, who would be born in the palace of Jerusalem or the palace of Rome. They must not look for a Christ who would be born with a silver spoon in his hand and who would rise to earthly power and greatness, but they must go to the manger. They must look for Christ in the cattle stall. They must look for him in poverty and obscurity and darkness because there's no room for him in the inn. There's no room for him in Bethlehem. There's no room for him in the world. He is despised and rejected of men. You must look for a Christ who humbles himself even unto death. That 
was the message of the herald from heaven. And that message was spoken to shepherds, lowly shepherds. That, too, is significant. The first announcement of the birth of Christ, mind you, when no one in the world knew that Christ was born, not a soul other than Joseph and Mary, the first audience to hear the gospel were shepherds, lowly, poor shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock. What is the significance of that? Notice a couple of things. In the first place, the first message of the birth of Christ was brought to shepherds because the baby who was born was the shepherd, our shepherd, the good shepherd. So how fitting for the first announcement of his birth to be brought to shepherds Because the child there was born to be our shepherd, to guide and lead and feed and protect and provide for God's sheep, and to do that, above all, by laying down his life for those sheep, as he would later preach in John 10. This is the shepherd, this little one is the shepherd. The son of David, the great shepherd of old, is born to become the great shepherd, the good shepherd the self-sacrificing shepherd. And therefore, it was preached first to shepherds. Shepherds who knew what it was to feed the sheep, to care for the sheep, to love the sheep. And there's a lesson there for us who are called to be shepherds in the church. There's a lesson for us who are called to be pastors. The word pastor, you know, is, means shepherd pastor is a shepherd under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And there's a lesson here for us, and that lesson is that pastors and elders, too, who are called to feed the flock of Jesus, must first hear the message of salvation before they can bring the message of salvation. The shepherd must be a man who has first had, as it were, an encounter with the gospel, an encounter with the living Christ through the preaching of the gospel so that he has heard himself from another shepherd, the preaching of the gospel. And that gospel has found a place in his heart. The shepherd himself must be a man who has found comfort and joy in the glad tidings so that it's not just information to him, But it is also to him the message of his salvation, the message that brings him joy and peace and rest, the message that takes away all of his fears. And that's true for me too, beloved. There's nothing in the world more precious to me than this message of the birth of Christ. And I bring it to you as one who has himself heard it, and received it, and believed it. And it's what brings comfort to me in life and in death. The shepherd must first receive, then the shepherd can give. That first. And then in the second place, 
the significance is that God has ordained to hide the mysteries of salvation from the wise and prudent and to reveal them unto babes. Jesus said that in Matthew 11, verses 25 and 26. I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. God is pleased in his mysterious counsel to reveal the mysteries of the gospel to the lowly, to the weak, to the poor, to those who are of no account, to those who are not special in this world. The apostle speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 31, where many thought that the preaching of the cross was foolishness. He said, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to confound the mighty and the base things of the world and the despised things of the world so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's God's purpose. God chooses to reveal these things to the low, to the weak, to the poor, because generally they know their need for a Savior. Whereas the wise and prudent, the high and mighty, they often do not see their need for a Savior. They often feel quite sufficient in themselves, quite sufficient unto themselves. All that they need for life and death, they think they possess in their riches, in their power, in their fame, in their wisdom. And they don't know, or they won't admit, that they're poor and wretched and miserable, and they have nothing. But when Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom, the disciples said, well, how then can any rich man be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And that's where we must conclude. We must conclude not by saying that the gospel is only for shepherds, only for the poor and the lowly. But we must remember what the angel said. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that are unto all people. The message of the gospel is to be preached to the high and the low, to the rich and the poor, to black and white, to old and young, and to all nations and classes and kindreds and tribes of people without distinction. Because God wants to save people in all classes and categories of society. God also wants to do the wonder of saving the rich man and the powerful man. And that's why the apostle tells us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for kings and for all in authority because God will have all kinds of men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But he brings the rich and the powerful and the mighty to salvation by humbling them by making them to be like those shepherds, by giving unto them the knowledge that really they have nothing at all, nothing to bring, nothing to offer. They are in need of the child of Bethlehem for their salvation. 
So let us rejoice in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, for unto us was born a Savior. Amen. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we give thanks for the wonders that are revealed on the pages of Scripture. We thank thee, Father, too, for the childlike faith thou dost give to us in the midst of a world that scoffs at these stories of Christmas, dismissing them as mere stories. We thank thee, Lord, that thou hast given us a lively faith, that we hold for truth all that thou hast revealed in thy word. And may we, Lord, then be thrilled with joy and hope as we see that it's true, it's really true, that a Savior has been born for us. May that message, Father, take away our fear, and may it fill our hearts with joy. 